Well, hey, and welcome back for another episode of the Becoming Better podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss all that we know about James, the brother of Jesus and the writer of the book we'll go through for the next 11 weeks. We also talk about how important it is to persevere in our faith and how we have an eternal perspective in our suffering. As always, if you ever have any questions or comments from Sunday's message, be sure to join us at quadcity.church slash podcast, where you could submit your questions to be answered right here on the show. And hey, if you are new to the Becoming Better podcast, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. A little bit about the show. Uh, Really, this podcast, these episodes are intended to dig a little bit deeper into the context and anything that we couldn't quite get to from our Sunday's message, as well as help answer any questions. Again, you could submit those at quadcity.church slash podcast. But because this podcast is all about Sunday's message. If you've not yet listened to the message from this past week, go ahead and pause this episode now. Go back and listen to it, which can be found on this same Quad City podcast feed. And then you can continue on as it's going to help this conversation make much more sense to you. Well, again, thanks for joining us today. And we hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation as we kick off Beyond Belief, our study through the book of James. Well, hey guys, good morning. Happy Tuesday. Yeah, happy Tuesday. It is Tuesday. My office was closed yesterday for good reason. What you guys? What were you guys up to? How'd you celebrate? I didn't do much of anything. It was a great day. Yeah. Just got to hang out at the house. My kids had a sleepover, so we did that. Diana had a, what is it called? A baby sprinkle? I don't know. Yeah. A baby shower. Okay. Do we need to talk about this? I, I'm not talking about it. Anyway. I feel like uh, I don't think we need to talk if about Jason it. Jason has a strong opinion on the baby sprinkle, yeah, buddy. Probably just, isn't something we should talk about. I just thought it was funny. I'm like, because obviously my wife was there. A couple of ladies sure. in the church having babies, but it's their not just ladies in the church, but like specifically on our staff. Yeah, yeah. And she said, "I'm going to a baby sprinkle," and I'm like, "Did we?" become Lutheran and I mm. didn't know this. What, oh, what are we doing funny. here? Okay. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with that. <laughs> That's better than what it could have been. Yeah. <laughs> She's, she goes, well, you don't do showers because they already have all the stuff because they've had babies before. And so instead of a shower, it's called a sprinkle. Or it's just a little bit of yeah. stuff, not showering with stuff. And I'm like, interesting. See, you didn't know this. You didn't know what the thing was. Yeah. So I mean, I I kind of would have assumed to get there, but yeah, I I just thought we we're just trying to. It was real fancy. Don't see the picture too. I just I you know I having the stuff maybe not though because like one of the couples obviously they're four or five years down the road and did mm-hmm. a pretty big move. So mm-hmm. like so they yeah, probably, got rid probably of all- don't. You probably because yeah. I mean that's what happened with us, right? We moved from Louisiana back to Kentucky. Yeah. Then. But by the time you get to that, God blesses us with Amos. We didn't have nothing, <laughs> not a thing. We had left it all in Louisiana. Oh, Here's the thing, though. By the time you get to number four, you don't need half the stuff that you had with number one. Oh, like, no. Like, you're not. Yeah. No. 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 So and then just figure yeah. it out. So that was gone. I want some basketball um, <clears throat> on TV. There's a lot of sports. Really, man, I didn't do much of anything. It was great. 
It was a great day to just I had to go to the grocery store, which wasn't that packed for on a random Monday. That's nice. The grocery store was not that busy. It was a little surprising. Yeah, there you go. Because it normally always is. Yeah. So yeah. There you go. I did a little woodworking. I'm building a uh new shop table. I got a new saw for Christmas, a table saw. And I've been I've had this little janky one for a long time. A little temporary setup teardown thing. And so I bought a new one and I'm building a table that the saw will go in. So it'll have its own outfeed for big wood. And so that's what I did yesterday. So I've got about seven splinters in my hands today. That's good. That's good. Glad I don't have that. Yeah. No, me either. I um, didn't do much in the morning. Uh, Porter and I went for a little run. He, we're at the stage where when I when I go run, he can ride his bike with me now, and he he just breezes straight past me. So he's always waiting for me while I'm running. Uh, But it's fun, you know. We did um, did five miles yesterday, and he was a champ on the bike up and down Willow Lake Road, uh, or really the the trail overall uh, around Willow Lake. So that was super fun. You know, we're into a season where he can he can join me on that sort of thing. Uh, and then, yeah, Courtney was at the the baby sprinkle. <laughs> uh, supporter and I went and saw the new Illuminations movie, the uh, Migration. Oh, the you guys have seen, yeah, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I, I heard was, I heard good things about it. I thought it was really good because it came out around Christmas. Yeah, it was the week of Christmas. And normally we would go to a movie on Christmas Day. It's kind of been one of our traditions that yeah. we do as a family. But we were not here and we're traveling, so we did we missed that missed mm. that opportunity. A yeah. Bit. So. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we have wanted to go see it. Porter's been dying to go see it, so did that yesterday, which was super fun. So yeah. we had a good time. Sweet, it's a nice mellow day. Was always nice. The weather's getting nicer this week. The weather's going to be <sighs> awesome. It's like fifty all week. It's not going to be hallelujah quite as freezing overnight. So that's that's good. Mm. Looking forward to it. Uh, yeah. So hey, let's dive in. New series. Um, study through the Book of James. You got eleven weeks to uh, tackle. Uh, Jason, to your point, um, a book that tells us a lot about obedience and and how we live the Christian life and in a lot of really direct ways, which is going to be super fun. So, uh, but before we dig into the message from Sunday, uh, we don't know a whole lot about James. Like there are people in the Bible that we know much more about than James. Absolutely. 100%. So, what, you know, you shared a little bit, we know it is the James, the brother of Jesus. That's one thing we certainly know uh, about the writer of this book. And what else, do, though, do we know about James? So there's just a couple of of times where James shows up in Scripture to kind of give us a little bit of um, maybe a picture of of who he was. Um. Real quick, so you can tell us it's not James of Zebedee because we know he's dead. Maybe we should mention that, right? <laughs> like the James and John in Acts, like he's not with us any longer. Sure. Like he was killed by Herod? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that's why Jason can say, hey, I know everybody knows, oh, James, it's this James. Yeah. But he's dead because yeah. Acts 13 tells us, uh, I think 13 or 14. Something like that. I can't remember. But it's helpful. That's why we have the Book of Acts. There's, yes. It's our the church Acts history. It's a lot of history. <laughs> um, so, where I should have wrote this down. So, uh, we have a, let's see, I think it's, let's go, Mark 3 gives us a, a brief picture of 
uh, I think it's Mark three here. Let me make sure. Of nope. Oh yeah, Matthew. This is this is. Oh yeah, Matthew thirteen. You have a verse there as well. Yeah. Um, well, let's go to Matthew thirteen. I will come back to the Mark three here in just a second. Sorry, this is intriguing radio right here. Okay. Well, this is the same one. There is a verse. Somebody Google it up for me here. Um, that actually mentions Jesus' brothers by name, huh. where it says, uh, aren't his brothers with us? It's one of those moments where Jesus is in Nazareth, and he's sharing, and the crowd is looking at him saying, I can't, I can't believe that this, aren't his brothers? And it mentions them. James and Simon and Judas, and I'm forgetting one of them. And then, and aren't his sisters here as well? And so there's a place that mentions their name. I should have had this. You're talking about in Mark 3? Is it Mark 3? Well, so they're mentioned... um... Uh, well, so in Mark 3, Jesus appoints the 12. So he talks about the 12 apostles, but he doesn't talk about his brother there. They're um, in Matthew 13. Give it to me. Show it to me. 55. Okay. Mark, Matthew 13, 55. All right. Yes, that's it. Good job, Josh. It says, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and aren't his sisters with us? So this is how we know that Jesus had a big family. One of the things that's interesting about James is he's always mentioned first. So uh, the assumption is that he is the oldest of the brothers. And again, we don't know how many sisters he had. It just is plural. So aren't his sisters with us. So he could have had two. He may have had five. We don't know. But we know that Jesus grew up in a big family. So if he had four brothers and two sisters, that's at least seven children plus Mary and Joseph. Um, what's interesting here, and uh, Josh, we've talked about this a little bit before, um, even by this point, there's no Joseph. That is true. He doesn't mention his dad. So, again, we believe that Joseph probably died uh, already uh, because the townspeople, as they're talking about Jesus' family, this is his hometown, uh, they don't even mention Joseph. So, he's probably already dead. But James is mentioned here, uh, and, and he's always mentioned first, so he's probably the oldest which plays out a little bit more into the leadership role that James would have had, not just for the family, but also for uh, for the church. And so we can talk about that a little bit more as well. Uh, Mark 3 does tell us a pretty <laughs> cool episode where Jesus was once teaching. And in Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 31, it says, Then... Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to call him. 
A crowd was sitting around and they said, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Again, pause. If Joseph was alive, he would have to be standing at the front of this line. But again, he's not mentioned. It's just Mary and the brothers. And Jesus looking at them said, who are my mother and my brothers? He said, then they looked at those, then he looked at those who were seated around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my mother and my sister and my, my brother, my sister and my mother. So they came, Jesus' mother and brothers came as he was teaching and they're ready to take him, like put him in the padded room, you know, a jacket with really long sleeves because He's acting like he's crazy because he's out here calling himself God. And this is a kind of an embarrassment for the family. They did not believe him. And so they're ready to take him and put him in the padded room. And Jesus says, hey, you want to know who my mothers and brothers are? It's the ones who are doing the will of God. In other words, those people who are standing out there, including Mary and my brothers, they are not in the will of God right now because they haven't believed in me. And so... Um, this is what we know of James. He fits into this camp, thinks his brother's crazy, not following after him. By the time you get to the, to the end, after the resurrection, by the time you get through the book of Acts, all of a sudden, everything flips, and James becomes one of the most prominent leaders in the church of Jerusalem. And there are a few different texts that we could talk about um, that that point to this, where James is uh, in, I think it's Acts chapter 12, where James uh, specifically is named when Peter gets taken from prison. Remember, the there's a story of when Peter is thrown in jail, and an angel comes and lets him out, and Peter comes and knocks on the door, and people think he's a ghost, and they're trying to figure out what in the world's going on. And Peter eventually gets into the house and shares the story about what happens. And Peter specifically says, hey, make sure you go tell James what has happened. Make sure James knows what's going on. Um, Let's see if I can find. There we go. This is in verse 17. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. So Peter, who we think of as the biggest, highest leader in the church, says, hey, you know who needs to hear this story? You need Make sure James knows what's going on. And to your point, Josh, we know it's not James, the brother of John, because... Earlier in that chapter. That's right. In yeah. verse 2 said he had James, meaning Herod. Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. So um, so we know it's a different James. It's James, the brother of Jesus. There's another, I'm sorry, one more. There's another amazing um, point, and that's in Acts chapter 15. So this, this comes when the Gentiles really start to come into the church um, There's this question about what do they need to do to become Christians? Again, up to this point, the church has been primarily Jewish people. 
And we talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about that a little bit more this week, but primarily made up of Jewish people. But as Paul takes the gospel out of Jerusalem, as these, as the people scattered after Stephen's death, they take the gospel and they begin to preach it everywhere. And so there's this question that begins to arise of what does it take for the Gentiles to become Christians? How do they get in? Do they have to become Jews before they become Christians? Do we got to circumcise all these guys? Like, what's the thing? And there's this first church council that happens in Acts 15. And it's, as you read the text, it becomes really, really clear that the one who has the kind of the power, the biggest voice to speak into what should happen next, the leadership position is is held by James. Like when James speaks, um, people listen. Now, let me throw one more out. When the Apostle Paul comes back, and this happens a couple of times in the book of Acts, he always comes back and he reports to James. Yeah, and he literally in Galatians, I was going to say, because in Galatians chapter 1, 19, he says, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So Mm -hmm. Paul clarifies that it is actually, he is an apostle, number one. Number two, that he it's the Lord's brother who is the apostle, right? Yep. So Paul helps us out and tells us and connects the dots for yep. us in so, Galatians. I don't think we can overestimate the, the, the influence that James had in the early church. I think we, I think we sometimes downplay it. Um, you know, we all, everybody talks about Peter. Everybody talks about Paul as we should. They were huge. Um, but as you read through the through the text, uh, James had a very powerful voice, and uh, people looked to him for leadership over and over again. When James, I think it was with Timothy, uh, when when Paul brought Timothy in, somebody might need to fact check this one. I think when Paul brought Timothy in uh, and was going to circumcise him. It was James who said, you ought to take him in and you ought to do this thing and you ought to pay his way to get the vow done. Like he's the one who instructed Paul to do that with Timothy. And Paul did it. Like when when James tells Paul something to do, Paul does it. Like there's there's a high level of respect well, and influence. Oh, I love too, if you keep going in Galatians 2, right? In verse 9, James, Cephas, John, those esteemed as pillars. Yeah gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, right? Yeah. And then Paul says later, he goes, four before— And who did, who did he mention first? James. Yeah. Cephas with Peter, for those who don't know. And I love when he's talking about—this is in Galatians when Peter wouldn't eat with people anymore. Yeah. He says, for before a certain men came from James. Yeah. Like, that's how he acknowledged they were James's disciples. Yeah. Right? Like you said, he is a really big deal in the church, at least the early church. Yep. And so, um, it makes the most sense that he would be writing a letter, and again, to Jewish people. Yeah. Because it seems to be he did not leave Jerusalem. Right. He stayed. Yep. When everybody else scattered, he was the one of the ones who stayed as the apostle. Now, what I would say is, you said. Uh, specifically to Jewish people, because that's all the church was at this point. Right, right, before Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And so even, here's what church history tells us about James. You say in the early church, it's because he he was martyred really early. Um, 
So it is a church history tells us that it's not long, probably five to seven years after he wrote the book of James, he's still in Jerusalem and he ends up, they drag him up to the temple, the corner of the temple. And again, I can visualize, I've got to be there. It's so cool. There's this huge retaining wall up on the, the, the temple mount and there's this big ravine that goes off the side, the Kidron Valley. And they took James up and they told him to recant. And if he would not recant that his brother was the Messiah, then they were going to throw him off. And he refused to recant. And so they chucked him off the top of this pinnacle. It's actually kind of the very picture of the place where Jesus was tempted. Remember when he said he took him to the pinnacle of the temple? Mm -hmm. It's that moment where he says, jump off and the angels will catch you. Well, they're doing the same with James and they chuck him off. But the history records that he didn't die and he's down in this valley and he didn't die and he continues to testify to Jesus. Um, And he begins to do exactly uh, what Jesus did, and he prays for their forgiveness. Father, forgive them. And they didn't want to hear it, and a guy picks up a club and beats him in the head. And that's how James ends up dying. So, But again, that happened pretty early in the life of the church. And to your point in the message yesterday, like what a turnaround from James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't believe at the beginning of Jesus's ministry that he was who he said he was. Uh, Again, I love, uh, I think maybe what we were looking for a little earlier was Mark chapter six, when Jesus returns to Nazareth and is teaching on the Sabbath and all the people around him say, hey, don't we know this guy? Don't we know his brothers and his sisters? Like that's where all of that's recorded and and shouldn't we go get them, right? Um, To then having him martyred because he won't recant the fact that the resurrected Jesus in first Corinthians 15 showed up first to him, right? Like I just yeah. love, uh, uh, it would have had to take that. Now, one thing I do wish is we had a little bit more of that story, right? Like first Corinthians 15 says, uh, um, uh, then he appeared to James and all the apostles. And that's really all we have about the story is that yes, the resurrected Jesus did appear to James, but I just wish we had a little bit more of that interaction. That would be incredible to, uh, get a little more insight from what that must have been like for James and for Jesus both in that moment. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, what a cool turnaround story, right? From Mark to, oh yeah, now I'm being martyred for what I believe uh, of my brother. Yeah. And again, it's just so powerful when you, I always, I love making sure that we connect the dots, that these are not just nameless, faceless people. This isn't a book. The Bible isn't a book that just fell down out of heaven without context of life. And the Holy Spirit uses people like James to tell us the story, and that that story is filtered through their life and their experience. So I think it's just important for us. I always love just to make sure that our people understand. James was a real person. These were real people in a real place at a real time. And God used them, and I think that adds depth to the message um, than if we just try to read them in a vacuum. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so now that we know about all that we can about Mm -hmm. James, the brother of Jesus, um, let's talk about uh, the message yesterday. Uh, Great. I thought it was a great place to start off. Um, And, I mean, to 
to the point of the text, James, re- James really just gets right to it. I mean, yeah. that's what it feels like at the beginning of the book. It's like, oh, we're, we're in it. There's no long intro. He doesn't ease into hmm. some really important topics. In fact, some of the most important topics for, for those trying to follow Jesus today. Uh, he gets right into it um, with the idea of perseverance and how we keep going in the midst of suffering and um, uh, how we are guaranteed suffering in the life of uh, a follower of Jesus. So, uh, Josh, what as far as yesterday's message goes, what stood out to you? Yeah, two things. First, um, uh, to Jason's point, we're talking 10 to 15 years this letter is written to the church um, post-resurrection. Pro- yeah. Already, it was really hard. Right. It was already like that's a, the first message, the first line of the letter to Christians, followers of Jesus was trials are coming. You got to make it through it because if you don't, you don't get the crown of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, like to me, that of all the things, like you said, of all the things we could have talked about, all the, the, the stuff, it could have been the letter, could have been the stuff about the Gentiles and the, all the things that were going on and, you know, they were struggling and not getting along, but that's not the first thing that was happening. It was overwhelmingly life is very, very difficult. That's what we're led to believe. Mm-hmm. Maybe more so, like you said, because they actually are Christians and that's what we know of church history. But life for everybody is very difficult, but something really good can happen. So to me, it's just an incredible, like it just stands out. So again, I think to me, what stands out is sometimes I think we're the only ones like just in our generation, in our time, it's really, really hard now. Hmm. <laughs> it's been that way since literally day one for Christians. Mm-hmm. Like our generation is not unique or different as believers. It's not, because we say it, we say it all the time, oh, it's never been like this. I'm like, ah, it has actually. Yeah. It actually has been throughout the entire 2,000 years almost of Christianity. It and, has actually just been like this. And mostly it's been worse. And mostly it's been way worse. So again, we just got to, I think it helps us to keep that in context and keep it in perspective of like, it had to be so bad that people were walking away. Mm -hmm. That's how bad it was. Because that was the letter is like, please don't walk away. Like keep going. And the other part was consider it pure joy. So really cool. So I was thinking about this when you were talking about pure joy. So Saturday, um, the YMCA has a challenger basketball team. So the challenger team is comprised mostly of uh, uh, Down syndrome um, kids, probably my kids age six to 15, 18. I, you know, I don't yeah. know. Um, with some other, uh, uh, those with mental disabilities. Um, and so Jamie, who goes to our church, called me and said, hey, will one of your teams play three o'clock on Saturday? And I was like, absolutely. Like, no questions asked. Um, when they scored, that was about as close to pure joy as I could call. Mm. Like I was, you were saying, what is pure joy? Not just joy, yeah, but pure joy. Like there's no, mm-hmm. like the crowd's going crazy. We're all cheering. This one kid is like, he's got gold between the legs, like Michael Jordan, hands up in the air. One of the kids are lifting up to, to dunk the ball. It's as close to what I thought of that's the purest joy that I've gotten to witness in a really long time. Yeah. Because there's there's nothing tainted that, that they don't know. Yeah. There's no there's no win or lose, mm-hmm. no crazy coach like me yelling on the <laughs> sideline. Um, it was so cool too to see a lot of our parents were like so grateful that 
I allowed their children to have that opportunity. And the same for me. Like, I wanted my boys to have that opportunity to, mm-hmm. some things in life are just way bigger, right? And so that's the framework that I had. So you're talking about suffering, and I'm going, pure joy. Oh, it's that. That's how my response is supposed to be. That I'm just so excited to, and so just amazed with how good God is that I'm celebrating and the crowd is cheering. Like, so that's the picture that I have in my mind now mm-hmm. when I'm thinking of pure joy and suffering and trying to link those together. Yeah. Right. Again, it was beyond happy. Yeah. It was way beyond happy because their circumstances tell me they shouldn't be happy. Right. But they don't know. Right. They literally just don't. And it's just something beautiful about it. Yeah. So. And I mean, to your point, um, it's it can be hard to get there. I love the fact that where James um, starts this letter, right, helps us get to a point to where we've got, right, rather than a, an earthly perspective on suffering, which is, oh, this is really hard. Mm-hmm. He almost immediately gives us an eternal perspective of, yeah, this is really hard in the moment. Like from a worldly perspective, it's going to be uh, painful emotionally, physically, spiritually. But it's the only thing that's going to mature your faith, mm-hmm. right? It's the only thing that gets you to a place of not lacking anything. Like is this these trials and temptations and sufferings, um, which always, right, when you're in it, the only thing that's helpful. Because <laughs> like no, nothing helps make you feel better. No. Nope. Right? Understand, even understanding the 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 uh, eternal perspective really doesn't make anything feel better in the moment right? when right. you're going through immense pain and suffering. But at the very least, it gives you just that inkling of hope. Like you have just a little bit of hope, um, which can go uh, a whole a whole long way. So yeah. um, I do love that James gives us that almost immediate, hey, whatever it is that you're feeling, like it's not, it's not really about this in the moment. It's not right. really about this pain and suffering. It's about the eternal difference that that makes in your walk with Jesus and in relationship with him. So I love that piece. Jason, um, uh, what stood out to you as far as yesterday's message or, or anything that you didn't get to that you would like to spend more time on? Well, I've, yeah, there was several things that we ended up cutting. <laughs> <laughs> the, a lot of the backstory from James, there were several things that we ended up having to cut, but you know, what it comes down to is what James tries to do for us is to get our mind off of the circumstances of our trials and point to the significance. What all of us want to find purpose in our pain. Like that's just a natural, doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. We're always, you know, even people who don't believe in God will say, well, everything happens for a reason. Well, what's the reason? I don't know, but it just happens for a reason. We're all trying to find purpose in our pain. And James goes out of his way here to begin by helping us know what the purpose is. This has happened so that perseverance is produced. Like that's that's the purpose. Uh, at least one of the purposes of the pain is is there, to your point, we can't, it doesn't get created any other way. Perseverance does not get created any other way outside of suffering. And we have to have perseverance in the end. So this is an opportunity for that perseverance to be developed. And so James is trying to help lift our eyes beyond the circumstances and and to see what's produced by the pain that we're walking through. Yeah, that's really good. It reminds me of our, as we're going through Romans 5 too, right? We hit on a lot of the same Yep. The same uh, uh, content. And, yep. Um, I just remember it being 
uh, just as challenging, but just as hopeful there yeah. as well. Um, hey, okay, well, let's jump in then. We had one great question uh, uh, specifically about perseverance from this past Sunday. So Mike says this, he says, what, if any part, does one's perseverance in trials or sufferings play in earning a place in heaven? Or is it our persever- or is our perseverance evidence uh, that one has truly been regenerated and a place in heaven uh, is secure? So this is the question that we get all the time when we talk about perseverance. Uh, I literally have a sermon that I did 12 years ago, uh, going through, maybe even longer than that, going through the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter six, where we, where we started talking about this. So, so there's, just to help the framework of the question for everybody, there's usually two camps that people talk about when they're thinking about perseverance. There's one camp that would say you have to persevere if you want to be saved. So that's camp one. Like your perseverance is what makes you saved. The other camp would say, actually, it's your perseverance that reveals that you are saved. In other words, if you don't persevere, it's not because you aren't being saved. It's because you never were saved. So those are the two camps. One would say perseverance is the determining factor of your salvation. One would say the perseverance is the result of your salvation. So those are kind of the two camps. And there are verses that you could pull out that point to both of them. Um, and so whichever one you want to believe, there is a, there is a verse you could use to, to back up your belief. What I've said is the answer, the antidote to both of those is exactly the same. Just persevere. If perseverance is what gets you saved, then perseverance means you'll be saved. If perseverance is a result of your salvation, then if you persevere, it means you were saved. So the answer to both of them is just persevere. Just don't quit. The, the, the flip side to that is if either, if you're in either of those camps and you quit, then you're not saved. Whether it means you, you uh, walked away from your faith or you never had it to begin with, your choosing to walk away is a reflection of a heart that is no longer regenerate or is not in with Christ. So, so either way, I'd, I'd, I'm at the place now where I don't try to argue people's idea of perseverance or here's what, here's what I argue for. Just persevere. Like at the end of the day, that's the answer, no matter which camp you're in. And both camps would say, if you walk away, if you quit, if you turn back, you will not be saved or you are not saved but the result is the same. So the answer is persevere to the end. Jesus made it as clear as possible. Those who stand firm to the end will be saved. So just do that. And gosh, it's so hard to, and by no means uh, am I trying to insinuate that Mike falls into this category. We know he doesn't, but this idea pushes back so hard against the 
much too often preached easy believism yes. of just believe the one time and yes. you're in and you never have to worry about it. That's right. I prayed the prayer when I was eight uh, that I didn't want to go to hell. And so no matter what else I do for the rest of my life, I'm fine. Yeah. And that's why I think there, there's so much, you know, it's sandpaper rubbing up against this idea um, that, well, my my brother raised his hand that one time and I've got this p- close personal relationship with this person that is deeply personal um, but it's just not what we see in Scripture. Right. Um, Which is also why I think it's helpful we try to stay away from even the saved language. Yes. Right. Right. Just because I don't know. We've talked about that. I don't know when that happened. I, 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 it's hard to say at that exact moment, I would say. But we do see really clearly the mechanism for being a disciple. Yes. Yeah. And what we then see from all the disciples is, man— it life came at them mm-hmm. over and over. I think every book in the New Testament, every letter talks about suffering, which yes. of course it does, because that's what they experienced yeah. over and over and over again. Yep. And so um, I think that's really helpful too, because again, God can do whatever he wants. I think we've said that over and over, over our Roman stuff through the Holy Spirit series is God is God and he can save and do what he pleases, right? And so my, my goal is, to become his disciple. And it looks like Jesus was very clear that being his disciple was going to be really, really hard. And so I should have no notion in my mind that it would just be an easy believism. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus is pretty clear from the very beginning, talking to him, especially on the night he's about to leave, that this is going to get really tough. And too, he knew some people were going to walk away. Like he actually knew that of his mm-hmm. disciples. And so that has to be in my mind as I'm entering into this. That's why um, I love how Ken always talks about, too, you know, that it's a surrendering to Jesus as Lord. When he talks about baptism, he always makes sure people understand that. Like, your life is no longer yours. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that's the call is really hard to follow after Jesus. This mm-hmm. is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. It's take up your cross. Narrow road, not the wide road. Yeah. If everybody's walking in one direction and you're going with the flow, as chances are it's not going to lead you to where Christ is calling you to. Right. right. There's a wide road that leads to destruction. There's a narrow road, and the text says only a few find it. So it is not no. this easy believism kind of idea. Man, it's it's pervasive, and it it is so antithetical to what Jesus taught when it comes to becoming his followers. So we got to persevere. We got to fight to the end. Um, One other thing that I didn't get a chance to really hit on is just uh, probably it's unnecessary, but I I think it's, it's just right there in the text. It's so clear. Again, just the expectation of suffering as a part of the Christian life. Uh, Because James starts with not if, you consider pure joy if you suffer. It's when, yeah, whenever. Like it is coming. It's not an option. Uh, it is an expectation. Um, and in fact, Paul in the book of Acts. I'm going to see if I can pull this up. Paul in the book of Acts even says it is through hardships that we enter into the kingdom. And I want to sh- I want to pull this up because. Is so powerful. <clears throat> Sorry, here I am typing. Again. 
talk amongst ourselves. Okay. Where's he going? Acts? Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Acts 14, mm. 22. This is so, so powerful. Because uh, I think, again, it, it puts a, um, a perspective on suffering that most of us wouldn't have. So Acts 14, 22. This is Paul, and he is traveling around, and I, I want you to hear this. So I'll, I'll start in verse 21. It says, they preached the gospel in the city and won a large number of disciples. Then they, meaning Paul and his companions, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So these were cities that Paul had already been to and already had made uh, disciples there and planted churches. So he goes back to these places that he had already been, and he says, so they went and returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And how does he encourage them to remain true to the faith? Here's the quote. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That was his encouragement. Hmm. Hey, stay in the faith because Here's what it takes to get into the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships. Like there, this idea that you're just going to coast into the kingdom is just not true. It just, it, it's just not biblically true. So Paul, two years earlier, a year earlier, had planted these churches in these cities, and he goes back to encourage them not to give up. And the encouragement was, yeah. this is how you get in. You go through hardships. Yeah. yeah, I was talking of the was it Philippians one, right? Uh, he talks about uh, what is it one twenty seven, right? That you let me let me find it. Philippians one twenty seven, Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians. Yeah, for it has been granted to us on your behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him but also to suffer, suffer for, for His him. name. Yeah, I'm like they just don't get around it. Yeah. like that's the piece of yep. this that's so wild to me is like you said, whatever camp you're in, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, like at the end, the call is still the same. This call is the same. You just got to keep going. Yeah, and again, so it's encouraging for me again to remind myself that in the very beginning, the first letter to the church of Christians. They were already struggling with this. Yeah. And so, again, we're not saying it's easy. We're not saying that it's not. Like, some people are like, they're getting to the end. Probably all of it are, like, tattered and bruised. And there are scars that we see, scars that you don't see. But, like, you're not walking in there easily. Like, it is. And some are probably limping in. Yeah. Right? Like, it's a, it is an all-out battle. Mm -hmm. And, again, it's, we have a real enemy, too, which we have to then bring into perspective, too. Like, there's both of those things. Like, God is. God has something that with this perseverance that he's doing in us, but we also have an enemy that if I could throw everything I wanted at you, it may just cause you to walk away. Yeah. And he'll use whatever tactic yeah. to get me to ring the bell, right? To your analogy, yeah. like whatever it takes to yeah. get me. And some people, it is it just piles up, piles up, and piles up, piles up. And most people that we talk to as pastors, like this is usually the one of the biggest reasons why they've walked away. It's suffering, they, just, yeah. they, just yeah. they just couldn't do it anymore. It, whether it was the suffering of the world or the suffering of a family member or their own personal suffering, this is usually like the rubber meets the road, and they're like, I, I can't do this. Yeah. This, this isn't worth it. Right. To, to, back to Brenda's point is James tries to give us a perspective to the end 
Because in the moment, all of us want to quit. Like, we all just want to be like, ah, this is too hard. I don't want to do this. But when I remind myself of, no, 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 no. There's something greater beyond this. That's like what helps drive us through it. And that's what I love about, I mean, so often in the New Testament, whenever there's a, um, you know, a verse or two around this idea of suffering, it's always with that eternal perspective in mind. I even think back to, um, right, first Peter, it's, hey, uh, um, uh, you will glory in your suffering (laughs) alongside Christ. Not, that's not word for word, but that's essentially the theme that, he uses also. So I do love that any, it's not just, Hey, you're going to suffer. Good luck. <laughs> deal with a man. We're yeah. all, we've all been there. Yeah. It's just look ahead, like look outside of the today yeah. um, and look, look forward the next 10 years, look forward to eternity. Right. Um, uh, because that's the only way I think that we can have the the hope again, back to the Romans five, the um, suffering produces character, which produces hope, which produces pers- or per- perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. Yeah. Like hope is the end of the line yeah. as long as we can persevere and look ahead. And we, and we don't have to like, like Jason said, we're not masochists. We're not like praying for this. Right. If you just live long enough, it's coming. Yeah, most most of us don't have to. No, <laughs> like, yeah, like it's, it's just a reality of life, which I love how you frame that is, like there is something unique about the Christian perspective. There is something different. But for everyone, there's really bad things and trials, many kinds. Yeah. And your list, I, there was, it was many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and that was a very small amount. Right. So if we just look back in our life again, and, th- and there are different levels too, I think, right? Yeah. You know, for suffering uh, purposes. So again, I'm not, I'm not one of the, you know, like, oh, pray for patience. <laughs> like, okay. like, you ain't got to pray for this. Yeah. Like, if you just walk on earth long enough, that's one of the realities that we encounter. I just wonder, as I'm, again, still thinking about this text in Acts 14, as Paul's going back, he's strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain in the faith. And his words are, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And I wonder if, how many people would sign up to follow Jesus if we put that on the front of the brochure? <laughs> Everybody wants the kingdom of God peace. And again, we go to John 3, 16, and God so loved the world, and all we got to do is believe. And that's true, but it's not all that's true. And this part is true, too, that it is through many hardships that we enter into the kingdom. And so there's going to have to be this perseverance through these hardships if we want to get into the kingdom. That's really good. Um, Anything else from this past Sunday? No, I think that's it. Awesome. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm looking forward to the rest of the series. And it's good to be back in a book. Yes. Uh, it's really nice to be back in a book of the Bible. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be are. a lot of doing things. It though. is. It's like, that's what James is like. <laughs> so if you're just coming to be like, oh, learning, that's not at all. We are going to learn. I'm not going to say that. Yeah, yeah. James is like, oh, you sh- you have to do something. Now. In fact, and, is that where we're going this week? <laughs> Almost uh, immediately? No. Is that uh, next couple weeks yeah it's a couple weeks but yeah i did hear you know a few people (laughs) say james is my favorite i love james (laughs) and i'm always like Uh, i don't know if people recognize james gets really there's some james gets angry with people in this book i mean he he yells and he gets in people's face and uh, it's gonna be a little rougher than i think people anticipate which if we frame it as he is the leader of the church, 
it makes so much more sense. Yeah. Like yeah. he is not holding back. Yeah. Because he has like a responsibility to take care of the flock. That's right. And say the hard thing that they don't want to hear. Yeah. His flock urgent. has scattered, right? Yeah. They are all left. His flock is gone, but he is still going to shepherd. And that shepherding comes with a rod. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. For sure. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll uh, chat again real soon. 